Hi, my name is Mitra Manesh. I'm a servant. I serve through teaching, coaching, consulting, or any other way that I can find to share what I know with those who want to know. And this Lights On podcast is one of those ways. It was created with consciousness and mindful living in heart. So join us as we travel through many roads of learning and transformation together. And if you enjoy our podcast, please give us feedback by rating us five star and share us with others if you think they may benefit from it. On behalf of my team, I thank you for your presence. This episode is also a longer episode. It's about half an hour or so. And it's uh, the second part of the interview that Marion Cortina from Luan Museum had with me. We covered many, many different subjects uh, from how and why we suffer and how we can stop suffering to uh, what I called diverse abilities in life. People call it disability. And um, I speak about my experience of as a child being at school and um, suffering from uh, dyslexia, which became the best gift in my life later on. So we cover a lot of topics and I hope that it serves you somewhere in between. And uh, it all also comes down to the main theme of most of my talks, which is about our choice in life and how we can choose differently in order to work with the different ingredients that have been offered to us in life. Let's take a listen together. One of the definitions of uh, suffering that I like, the other, because I think it's pretty simple and it's to explain, is that sometimes suffering, suffering comes when we have um, when, when there's a difference between our expectation and our realities, right? When we want something, for example, that we don't have, no? For example, we imagine that our lives should be something different, you know? This expectation and our reality is completely different. What can you say about that? Because some people have said, no, like many questions that we have over in Luan is like, okay, so then it means that I need to not have expectations and I need to have a different reality. And then some other people say like, okay, so then how do you change your reality? And there's kind of like a lot of, a lot of debate between, you know, how to make this difference between expectation and reality less. Yes. Uh, expectation is a very interesting word. So we, when we plan and be expected, that means we're giving no opportunity to it happen any different way, right? I say, I expect you to show up at this time. And if you come two minutes late, I just be very disappointed, right? It would ruin my day. So in the world of a deeper energetic world, the idea is that we show enough passion, enough desire, enough uh, energy in life that we want and have preferences and, and passionate and desired uh, outcomes. But once we clarify that, once I identify that, then it's the moment of letting go of that, which mm. is very oxymoronic about what other worlds say. They say, no, go for it, go for it. But then we get to a place of efforting 
I call it efforting, such a word doesn't exist probably, but it's like when I just can't let go of, I become obsessed, obsessed with it. And that's where our suffering starts. So the question is this, this is the happy medium that I have found that works, that it's a combination of the West and the East, that you have enough clarity, enough presence to know what you want and really imagine yourself use your imagination to see yourself doing and more importantly feeling it when that arrives mm. but also be fluid enough and be flexible enough for something even better to happen because when we want something we want it with our mind mm -hmm. what is available to us is far more than that. There's a beautiful story that I recall uh, that this woman had a, it's a metaphorical story, that this woman had a really great um, relationship with God mm -hmm. and asked God to promise that whenever she wants love in her life, that God will help her to have that love. Mm -hmm. So lo and behold, years go by and she meets this person that's call him Adam mm -hmm. and and uh, they have a great time they they really love each other they enjoy each other company but something happens and Adam decides to leave so Adam leaves the relationship and this woman goes to God and says you know I I want Adam I want Adam and first it starts by praying and then she, it, she starts being angry and at the end she just is really angry with God and says you promised me you promised me to give me love but I see that you are like all the other human beings you are breaking your promise and God patiently says my dear what did I promise you and she says you promised me uh, you promised me love and God says, exactly, and I'm staying with my promise. Adam is not love. I'm going to bring you love if you want it, but Adam is not love. So her limitation was that love that she's seeking only exists in Adam. And life was offering her something far more than Adam, mm -hmm. probably far more compassion, understanding, connection, but she was focused on Adam. And in a way, we do that when we become obsessed and expect, the word you use, and expect Adams in our life. And here they are, far more Adam, waiting for us to connect and interact, but we are focused on Adams of our lives. My invitation is to really get clear about what you want. Really feel and imagine and visualize that what that feels like and time to let it go and allow the fluidity of, of your energy to bring that to you when and if it's the right thing. Mm -hmm, totally. And you mentioned something very interesting about feeling it, feeling it while you, what you already want, what you want. It's a kind of like feeling already having it, right? Because sometimes when we want something, it's kind of like sometimes we come from a place of uh, lack, kind of like, no, I want that because I don't have it. 
Yes. And that that place of lack eventually, obviously, is not going to bring anything because then we tend to grasp it. We tend not to obsess, but kind of like, you know, close the vision on that specific thing. Like your example of just looking at Adam and not looking about all the other multi-potential opportunities that are around Adam, right? <laughs> there are plenty and they're infinite, but we tend to kind of like, you know, close it down to Adams around the world. Yes. Absolutely. And you said something very interesting. You said um, we may we will not get it. I'm saying we may get it, but not get the experience that we wanted, because mm -hmm. this is a very interesting, delicate point. We want what we want. We chase what we chase, because really the ultimate outcome is a state of feeling that we're, we're really wanting. So I say if I have this car, I feel young people say I feel so hot. If I, if I drive this, okay, if I wear this clothes, if I go to this place and we may have the experience, but we may not feel the feeling we were chasing. It is that feeling that we were wanting. I want to be there because I want to feel good. So I may end up going there, but not feeling good about it. So the example is, of, of a person that has a lot of financial resources, right? But doesn't feel rich. Mm -hmm. So they have what they wanted, but they maybe sacrifice the feeling that they were really wanting, which is the ultimate prize of yeah. everything we seek and everything we desire. Mm -hmm. I want this because I want to experience that, right? Even, even in service. I want to do this interview because I think I can help people. It doesn't even need to be something selfish, but I want to be of service, right? I want to share my teachings, correct? Yeah. But if I'm too attached to that, I will get the class, I will get the interview, but I won't serve people because I'm too attached to that. And I'm too obsessed with how it should be. Yeah. But when I flow, with the moment. When I go, I always um, close my eyes before any any public event, be it a teaching or speaking. I just came back from a conference. And, and, and I, if I don't have a place, I go to the bathroom and sit there and I say, may I say what you want me to say? May I do what you want me to do? And may I be of service to everybody? And by you, I mean universe. I don't have any particular name for it. Yeah. Universal mm -hmm. consciousness. Mm -hmm. And and it's amazing how that changes everything. All of the sudden that, that talking about public speaking, that rushed sense of I should do this and I should do this. And sometimes I go and honestly, all those things that are prepared, they don't even come up. Mm -hmm. But I do serve people. I attend to their needs at hand. Mm -hmm. And... But when I go with my ego, I just give them a bunch of words, a blah, 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 and I come out and I feel like, oh, I didn't, it didn't feel satisfying. Yeah, it's kind of like it wasn't coming out, out of service, right? Exactly, exactly. And just pinpointing a little bit what you said about, you know, a rich person, no? I read a quote about the rich person is not the one that has more, but the one that needs less. Absolutely. And I love that because we're constantly focusing on kind of like these achievements. Now, what else can you get? What else can you do? Where else can you, you know, thrive and strive and have, you know, this um, kind of like knowledge of yourself? We're constantly not seeking through that achievement. And sometimes it's like, what about needing less? What about just, you know, 
focusing in like really easy things such as your breathing such as your presence that you we have it there every second of our lives and we're constantly chasing all of these huge things outside of our lives where we have sometimes what's most important right in front of our nose yes exactly what a, what a great point exactly and and really uh finding and discovering the amazing words that exist in small things mm -hmm. also and i'm by no means believe me i i i'm in beverly hills california so by no means i'm saying don't be successful and don't do these things but what i'm saying is there's also value in so many other things that we seem to ignore in mm -hmm. these moments as you said in in nature in connection with each other in just yeah beauty of all these things that are available to us. I remember every time I was sort of in a suffering mode and I would talk to one of my teachers, uh, he was a, a senior Buddhist monk and he used to ask me, oh, I was always thinking like, what do I need to get? And he was saying, what do you need to let go? And I'm thinking, no, I need more things, not less things. And he would say, uh, let's try less things and see what do you need to let go? And, and that question was always, always puzzling to me until I actually started exercising it. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh my God, it's my suffering is because my basket is too full. Mm -hmm. It's not because it's empty, because I'm not seeing the fullness of my life, of the connections, of the beautiful interconnections that I have with people, with nature, with things. And I'm not valuing that. And I say, no, 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 I want one, I want more. And that sense of like, how do I in really connect with things that I have in a different way? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it comes in the moment of um, gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. When I say, you know, find something, I usually tell my students find something first thing in the morning especially because the rational mind is waking up and it wants to tell you what's wrong with your world <laughs> just before that happens you wake up and you think oh what can i be grateful for what is right in my world hmm. and and they always look for something big and you say well nothing important is happening today i say well do you have a pillow they say yeah i say well start there what a wonderful pillow i just you know, move my head on my pillow. I said, well, I have such a nice pillow and my sheets. Oh, I love the feel of my sheets. Oh, I'm breathing. I suppose at my age, I'm very, very grateful for that. So, oh, my hands. Oh, oh, it, they're moving. Look at this. I mean, look at this magic. Billions, trillions of cells need to work in absolute harmony for me to be able to do this mm -hmm. like isn't that a magical thing to pay attention to and acknowledge and be grateful for of course it's kind of like turning the ordinary into the extraordinary right absolutely purpose of mindfulness yes purpose of mindfulness Thich Nhat Hanh passed away recently mm -hmm. and his famous famous experience like not just now 40 years ago was mm -hmm. can you enjoy and be present when you're washing your dishes. Mm. And people in the Western world said, what are you talking about? What are you washing your dishes? The worst activity of the day. And his suggestion was, can you just see if, if, you, can, if you can look at it in a different way and experience it in a different way? Mm -hmm. And 
that was his suggestion. Washing dishes. Most of us dread that. Mm-hmm. And many of us can experience that in a different way. Amazing. And Mitra, I want to ask you, um, could you share with us a little bit about your journey with dyslexia? Because it has been a special gift and a challenge. And um, I think it also at some point could have been like this point of a lot of suffering, right? Can you tell us how was your journey with, with, with that? Yes. You see the good thing and maybe not so good thing about dyslexia um, for me was that nobody really had recognized that at that time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing. I'm sure scientists knew about it, but like average people like me and my family didn't know. And I didn't realize that there was something called dyslexia. What I did realize was that I wouldn't understand things the way everybody else understood, especially when I went to school. I was fine understanding and interpreting things on my own, but God forbid if if the teacher gave instructions. Oh my God, I would be begging my friends, what, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? I would be completely lost because I couldn't follow instructions. Was there suffering? It was. But there was also this amazing gift of me not counting on things the way they were presented. Mm-hmm. I mean, you become so creative. I didn't even know I was being that, to be honest with you. It's not like I sat there and and said, let me be creative about this. I just realized I don't understand what they're saying. I really didn't understand what my teacher was saying. Then, I mean, let me age myself. I'm 64 years old. Imagine almost 50 something years ago, I started taking notes, which I remember my teachers would object to. And they said, what are you doing? I said, like, I'm just writing what you just said. And they would come and check and we say, okay, that was fine. And I would make sense of, and my notes were very different than what they were saying. Mm -hmm. So what it did was this, I started not relying on the outside world to Mm -hmm. let me understand things or help me understand things. And that's a beautiful, independent, emotionally independent kind of experience that I realized I can only count on me. Mm. I can only count on me and what I do with with the information. Mm -hmm. I was also lucky that I was the youngest of the family and my family was very academic. So there was this expectation to do well. And I didn't know any other way. Everybody did well. My mother was a teacher. My brother was very good. My sister was very good at school. So I thought I had to be good. So I found ways to be as good as I could be. Mm. And then what is funny is this so-called curse and disability as they call it. I call it diverse ability because Mm. we all have diverse abilities. Mm -hmm. This diverse ability is the reason that I became a better teacher because Mm -hmm. if I can understand it in a simple way, believe me, anybody in the room will understand it. So there was suffering, it was hidden suffering but there was also the opportunity again are you paying attention to the problem or are you paying attention to the solution and i think in my naivete as a child i had to pay attention to the solution because i just had to show up and did you ever um kind of like felt a dump because i think with dyslexia as with other diverse abilities as you call them that i love that term um we tend to kind of like to label ourselves 
And I think that's, that's really dangerous because when we're young, we tend to kind of like identify our place in the world and identify or put certain characteristics to our identity, right? Because we're exploring who we are. We're exploring our place in the family and we're exploring our, our place in our classroom. And we're, we're exploring a lot, you know, like who we are and our sense of identity. Yes. And sometimes with, uh, with dyslexia or with anxiety disorders or with any other kind of, you know, disorders or with dysfunctional families or, you know, the list is, you know, ongoing a lot of this exactly a lot of that we tend to label ourselves and label ourselves as dumb or label ourselves as bad or label ourselves as you know not talented enough or whatever did, did you experience that i did i did i knew that there was something not like everybody else mm -hmm. but there was also something deeper that that really helped me it's funny i i, I keep going to the solution but I did feel, I realized that everybody gets it and I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I realized that um, everybody's way, like I remember in math class, like everybody's way was identical. And my teacher would say, how did you get to this answer? And I would say, I don't know. That's how I would, because my logic, my pattern of logic of arriving at that was very different mm -hmm. than what they were teaching or they, they, everybody was following. I felt different more than dumb. And that really helped me because, oh, oh boy, oh boy, did it help me. I didn't know I would have to leave my country. I wouldn't know I would live on four continents. I wouldn't know that I would, you know, change my residence 30 something times in my life so far. And that being different, but not feeling dumb was really different for me. And it made the experience um, much better and more positive for me. I was more in my little head thinking I'm different mm -hmm. and I was okay with being different. And I think that's where my relationship with, um, again, whatever you want to call it, God, mm -hmm. universe, um, I'm not fussy about the name, uh, it, it really developed. As a child, I would actually speak to and connect to that being that was beyond me because I feel I needed help. And the help wasn't coming from, from people around me. And people would just say, just focus. It's like, it wasn't focus that was my problem. I was focusing. It was the fact that even with focus, I wouldn't understand things the way they were presenting to me. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, I think I, I saw more, myself more as different than dumb and stupid, yeah. which is very, very helpful. I don't know why and how, but I think I, I figured out that, that I, I was listening to my friends and I was thinking, I don't think that way. I don't, I do, I do not have that experience. Mm -hmm. And it was very alone. I was lonely. Nobody would know about by no wonder I started talking to God, but, but it was, it was also feeling that, okay, I can do it, but I can do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the whole idea of working with anybody that is different in any ways, be it physical, be it sexual orientation, be it in uh, expression, uh, you know, we're just are different. And that's beautiful. Look at nature. If we were the same, we would be just so, as you called it, boring. Mm. Yeah, totally. That was my experience. And I think you also had the opportunity to choose and you chose instead of choosing uh, being different in a weird kind of like marginal way right yes. you had the opportunity to choose being um different in a unique 
way. Yes. It's very different being kind of like unique or in this kind of like weirdness marginal, right? That some people, they might feel different and it's kind of like not different in that unique sense. Yes. Right? They kind of like turn it around, which I love it. I love, I love your point. You're, you're right on on that because in going back to my survival mode theory, in survival, we want to be like everybody else because we're afraid of our uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And when we step out of that mode of survival, we actually celebrate our uniqueness. I look at you and I say, that's great. I love the way you do this. And I love the way I do this. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, if there is something that I love about the way you do it, that inspires me, that doesn't frighten me. Exactly. You see, it's just like about where are you standing? And I have to say, all children are born in thriving mode. We condition them. We tell them, don't do that. Don't sound like this. Don't ruin my reputation. Don't sound, you know, that's where they start grasping into the fear of survival mode yeah. that I've got to be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the world, I mean, go to any airport, it looks like you could be anywhere. Mm -hmm. There is no uniqueness. There is no my style. There's no my way. There's no my colors. It's all homogeneous, which is to me, death of creation. Of course. And, and I don't dare to be me. Mm -hmm. And how did you discover your gifts and your talents? <laughs> I think they, well, if you can call them talents and gifts, gifts through a talents, I don't know. They discovered me. They mm -hmm. really discovered me. They come to you when you are open. It's amazing. You know, I started painting. I mean, the painting behind me is one of my work. I started painting because I loved just working with colors mm -hmm. because I just loved colors. Mm -hmm. And never been to school, never been trained, sorry, with all due respect to trained artists, I don't want to minimize that. But one day I started painting and it goes home for me. It really adds to my creation. And from painting, this is very interesting, once you open that door and don't let your logical frightened mind tell you, but you don't know anything, what do you know about painting? You can't paint, you don't know anything about painting, you're not talented, you're not like your cousin and your neighbor and your you know, the, the, the friend that is very talented, you're just not talented. When you're open to it, and then from painting you go to poetry, from poetry you suddenly are writing poetry, and from poetry you go to sculptor, from sculptor you start playing music, and you realize that there is no one way of being. It's not like I am not good at it. The question is, have you explored it? <laughs> I may not, you know, enjoy as much painting as I do poetry, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I'm not good at it. I don't understand that. I really do not understand what that means. I may say I don't enjoy it. I don't prefer it. I understand that. But I'm not good at it. It's like what people are all good at everything when they're born. No. no. They un uncover Mm -hmm. Those talents. I'm sure Monet didn't know that, you know, he was talented when he was three, but but somehow he allowed himself or the conditions allowed himself to put his hand in and discover and remember that's what the genius is actually. And we mm -hmm. have a lot of geniuses. If you notice, go on YouTube and yeah. see how many kids can sing opera and how many kids can play music like Chopin. And it is the remembering when we are not frightened. We mm -hmm. 
we remember our memories of being good at that in another time in another place mm -hmm. there's really no time and other experience totally and it's more on focusing the moment of what you enjoy doing that practice than yes. kind of like putting a grade on it if you're good or bad right like yes. for example when I paint or what you were saying about when you're painting, right? It's more about kind of like the flow of the moment. How are you seeing the colors and the texture and how do you move your brush and how your emotions are being expressed on your canvas, right? And it's more about getting immersed in that process and enjoying that process. But when the inner critic or the judgmental part comes in, ah, then eventually it's one, no, when it starts to shut it down in the sense of we tend to put kind of like a grade and it's imagine it's coming from ourselves, but we're the ones grading it as if we were experts not like oh my god that's, that's terrible no you just did a terrible painting and you're like oh, you know <laughs> you know you know exactly the same thing as what you're starting to express and to enjoy and to do it being immersed in that painting so it's funny how we can play kind of like different caps around our own work yes that's so true and there are really three different frightened mode of characters that show up in in a very general sense one is the judge and and over judger and negative judger i'm not talking about you know the one that discerns and makes decisions but the one that is like always has a comment like you're not good enough you're not tall enough you're not beautiful enough, you're not young enough you're not talented enough you're never enough that's one of the voices uh, and and the other voice is the voice of oh poor me Mm. my victim my victim voice is like you know i i just uh i've just I've never been good i'm just not one of the lucky ones you know i'm not one like you know somebody else and and it's like a poor me and all of these are are like the voices of frightened fearland mm. voices and the other one is like i have to save everybody i've got to do more in order to uh, convince people how good i am yeah. let me come and do your life let me just cook for you let me just take care of your kids let me do something to convince you how good i am i've I become the savior and really rejecter of myself and savior of others. So mm. these are the main voices that that show that we are actually um, stuck in, in the survival mode. But when we step out of that, and it's just the moment of decision, the moment we do that, then we free the talented, the poet, the writer, uh, at the very least, the happy me. At the very least, I may not be into any of those things, and I'm not saying everybody should be, but I'm saying that when you free yourself from that fear land, survivor mode, um, and constant comments, and you go to the bit of a pause, bit of a silence, mm -hmm. bit of compassion, then you see there's a whole world that I've never touched before. And why not? Totally. And something that I think it's um, important mentioning, just seconding what what he just said, is that sometimes we tend to put our value in ourselves with an activity instead of something of being. And something that I've seen that has been happening a lot in these unusual times is putting our self-worth or our value with productivity. Yes. So if there's a time that we're not productive or there's a time when, I don't know, we didn't have a win or if there's a time where, I don't know, we didn't do what we expected to do, eventually a lot of pain comes. Why are we putting our identity with an action? Because our identity is, it is. No actions, no, no judgment, it just is. But we tend to put that our identity is good or bad depending on different actions around us. 
That's exactly true. And, and that's exactly why we do it. Because you said the pain comes. And I, to avoid pain, I want to fill up all the spaces between my activities. Because by doing, I'm avoiding being. Mm-hmm. And the, the ideal for a balanced life is a do, be, do, be, doing, mm-hmm. being, doing, being. And, and allowing that pause to give us the opportunity to access the unborn thoughts and ideas and projects and connections. So it is in that pause, in, in not doing, mm-hmm. that not doing is the mother of all doing. Yeah. But when we don't give ourselves that, that pleasure of that pause, then we will be doing for no particular reason. Mm-hmm. We're just busying ourselves mm-hmm. instead of really taking advantage and enjoying ourselves in in these moments of doing totally and analogically an analogy that i love is that life is more or less like music right we need as much as we need the notes we need the pauses right if if music would all the time be notes you know (laughs) it would be terrible to hear all the time you know i mean like shut you know it wouldn't be that harmonious melody right when we add the pauses with the right notes then eventually we're able to create something so beautiful, so mesmerizing that eventually connects with our truest essence. We're, you know, listening to, to a piece of music or something that we love, or we are in a, in a concert with it, with a favorite music, it goes really deep. And it's that balance between notes and pauses. And it seems that in our, in our everyday life, everything is about notes and we tend to feel bad when we take pauses. And it's yes. completely what a great analogy. I love that story. That's true. Music without, and I love classical music, music without pauses is just a boring and very intrusive series of sounds. That's so true. It would be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, yes. And probably not, we can't even call it music, plenty of music. So, yeah. And on that note, I need to pause. Yes, I just wanted to close with a few questions for you there, just to answer in one or a few words, just like something fast that comes right to your mind. Okay. okay. What is art for you? Art for me is creation, that which has not been before. Mm. Your favorite author? Uh, Jalil Gibran. An advice that changed your life? Say it again. An advice that changed your life? You have a choice. The best quality in humans? Kindness. A book that you recommend? Um, hmm. Actually, the book, oh, I got shivers. Uh, all books of Thich Nhat Hanh, they're so simple and so deep. Mm-hmm. I second that. What feeds your soul? connection and and meditation the most pressing issue for humanity oh wow getting out of survival mode if humans can agree on this you will be very happy we are far more powerful and intelligent than what we think we are and we need to go beyond our limitations And um, what would you like to scream to the whole world? Love is the answer. And the last one, what is it that you have lived that no one could miss experiencing it? 
what experience <laughs> I do crazy things bungee jumping and parasailing and I just love the fact that I can let go of fear mm. of being in control mm. that's what you're doing I do it in the safe place but that's I, those are my experiences mm. and going to a hot balloon experience at 4 a.m. in the middle of Turkey was something that I would never ever forget. Mm. In Cappadocia. In Cappadocia. Oh, yes. Nice, wonderful, beautiful. Thank you so much, Mitra. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your magic, your experience, your love, your wisdom. Thank you for sharing it with us in the Luan community. And it was a pleasure to have you here again in Luan. Thank you for creating the opportunity for people to come and share that. And I really, really commend what you're doing. May your success grow and grow. Mm, likewise. Thank you so much, Rachel, from the bottom of our heart. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hope this episode answered the question or two for you or provoked and inspired questions in you. I'm so grateful you showed up and listened up. Until the next time, be well and stay curious.